Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to a very special surprise. Actually, we're, we're becoming good at this, Jess. Surprise! Off the looking glass. I'm Kate Fagan. I'm Jessica Smetana. It's not really a full off the looking glass. I guess we should set expectations to to start. It is a special alert. Things happening in our world. Off the looking glass. Crossover edition of OTLG. In which Kate has the goods. Kate has sources. Kate has information that you need to hear. I supplement with some reading of tweets but you need to listen to this episode to hear what Kate Fagan says about the top story in women's sports, the UConn-NC State game at Bridgeport to go to the Final Four. So on this special alert crossover edition of Off the Looking Glass, we are teaming up with our fellow Levitard and Friend podcast and creatives. Amin Hassan and Tom Haverstrow on Basketball Illuminati, where they pursue the truth to the farthest reaches of the earth. Wherever it takes them, they are in search of the truth. And we wanted to present this conversation with them about the, the seeding in the Bridgeport Regional and why UConn, as a number two seed, was given a home date to play for the Final Four. I mean, this is called the Basketball Illuminati podcast. This is not men's basketball Illuminati. We cover all of the basketball Illuminati, the things that happen in the world of hoops. That doesn't seem right. Wherever there's an injustice, Tom, we'll be there. Wherever a child goes hungry, we'll be there. And wherever there's a basketball conspiracy, you're goddamn right, we'll be there. And there's a basketball conspiracy a-brewing. That's right. Last night, NC State... Women's basketball lost to UConn in a thriller, but that wasn't the biggest story of the night. The biggest story in basketball was what happened after the game. Maze, why don't we run the clip? And NC State, you, you know, hats off to you. I mean, this environment. This, this environment that you have to play in. We're going to talk about that? Are we going to talk about that? No. No, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. And so now we are joined by our fellow Lebetard and friends, Metal Lark. Comrades, we have Jessica Smetana and Kate Fagan of the Off the Looking Glass podcast. It's an amazing show. Right now, it's on a little bit of a break. Oh, Amin has a little cowbell going. We're getting excited. Yeah. And this is something that immediately hit my mentions. People were sending us, hey, we need to do a crossover episode of Kate and Jess to come on to this show. So, first of all, Welcome to Basketball Illuminati. And secondly, did you plant that clip last night for your show? Oh, it's a thrill to be here. I want to say that we did plant the seed for that clip. In fact, all of the takes that are pointing out the injustices in the world of the women's basketball tournament right now, Jessica and I feel that we are the parents of those clips, of those takes. 
wherever in the world people are talking about the bias and the privilege that UConn holds in women's basketball, wherever they are, they all come back to us on Off the Looking Glass. At least that's how we feel. It's probably not true, but that is the place we have landed. But it does seem like UConn privilege has gone mainstream in that now I'm reading athletic articles about it, basketball Illuminati's talking about it. Mm -hmm. It was on ESPN and for some reason wasn't discussed last night after the game, although I do know that on that show, after the seating, both of the hosts of that show, Monica McNutt and L. Duncan, were skeptical of how NC State and UConn ended up in the Bridgeport bracket. But that's besides the point. The point is, UConn privilege has gone mainstream now. I think you guys all have to take a page out of Stugatz's handbook. And you got to go sausage fingers to the camera and say, we were the first to do it. Everybody followed our lead. And this is officially our territory. Now, Stugatz will take it a step too far and say, everyone needs to back off. But of course, this is what you guys want, right? And this is what we want. Whenever there is this sort of shenanigans going, we want people to talk about it. But we also want people to recognize that we were the first ones talking about it. And that's <laughs> that's the key here. And the order in which we care about those two things is up for debate. Yeah. <laughs> for those who aren't in the know, Tom set the stage. What is the Yukon privilege thing that we are talking about? Yeah, so I've been listening to the podcast Off the Looking Glass, and I'm from Connecticut. And Ooh. I didn't quite realize Ooh. the depths to which... Just kidding. We're unbiased here. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we're unbiased. I'm the Bridgeport expert. You can't boo me. I'm going to give you stuff about Bridgeport. We're going to talk about that. He's the man on the inside. Who do you work for? <laughs> One of their own. Who does Haberstra work for? Double agent. I've eaten Gino's tomato red sauce before because I think <laughs> they do have a Gino Oriema like tomato sauce in the supermarkets at Stop and Shop. I might have bought a couple and, and eaten them before. I don't know. I can't confirm nor deny. But the point is, is I did not realize the depths to which UConn privilege, big UConn, the outsized bias or influence, I should say, Kate's coined that term, the outsized influence of UConn on top of the sport. And this latest example is fascinating to me because Gino seems so insecure about this. I think there's a quote about him calling reporters or, or just the general mass of people, you idiots for believing that there's some sort of reason conspiracy that has UConn getting home court advantage as the number two seed in a region that features NC State as the number one seed. So how do we get here? How do we get to NC State not having home court advantage in a region just like we see all around college hoops in the tournament time? Let's break this down here because the overarching theory here is that there is a bias in basketball for UConn for lots of reasons we have laid out. And please go listen to Off the Looking Glass for that whole section. But here, what we're talking about, UConn ending up in Bridgeport. I have a couple sources who the last three to four years have been part of the seating and the selection committee down in Indianapolis for the NCAA. I have also in the past gone and done a mock seating. I've sat in that room for four hours and I know in the women's tournament in particular, what is baked into the seating. And probably much like the men's tournament, they use the S curve. So they actually seed the top four seeds in order. And then the S curve comes back around and they reverse seed the two seeds so that the one seed is actually playing the eight, right? The last two seed. The worst one seed, which is a weird thing to say, is playing the best two seed. You get it. So you take that S all the way down. According to my sources, <laughs> I feel very official saying that, yeah. <laughs> it was clear 
that it was South Carolina, Stanford, NC State, Louisville. Now, coming back around on the S-curve, it would have been Texas and Baylor interchangeable because they really were very close this year in the regular season and the tournament. Each of them won one of them. And then after that would have been UConn and then Iowa. So that's your top eight. According to these sources, it is very clear that UConn should have gone to Spokane and played Stanford. But here's what happens on the women's side of the tournament, which does not happen on the men's side of the tournament. A key variable that gets weighed dramatically is miles from hometown. (laughs) And that is plugged into the equation. No. And you have Liberty, and I did this down in Indianapolis. If a team is geographically close to a region, you can, with indiscretion, like you don't have to explain it, you can bump them up or down a spot. So what we have here is a situation in which it was obvious that if we use this magical wand we have of geographical location, we can move UConn up a slot so that they can stay in Bridgeport and they don't have to go to Spokane to play Stanford. And that is how we end up with this. And we end up with the NCAA's response. And the justification is? Right after the seeding came out, anyone who was following this election show was like, how is this happening? UConn's the second seed and they're going to have home court advantage if they make it against the one seed, NC State, which is what happened last night. And so the Duke athletic director, who's the NCAA selection committee chair, Nina King, she was asked about it. And she said, First and foremost, we start with the S-curve, and then we've got bracketing principles we follow to make sure that any conflicts are avoided. Same conference matchups, for example, in the first or second rounds or games that have already happened between teams this year. Then we take into account fan experience, student-athlete welfare, modes of transportation, whether it's a drive or a flight. So there's a variety of things we certainly take into account and had a lot of discussion about. Certainly, UConn and Bridgeport was one of those things that we spent a lot of time on ensuring that we got it right. Fan experience? Fan experience, which is obviously code for ticket sales. We want to fill these arenas. Money, money. It's why we have in our intro. But you start to follow the money and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. This is an example of following the money. Everything, when you put it through the prism of that pyramid with an all-seeing eye on top of it on the back of the $1 bill, you look through that keyhole, you see an entire world differently. And This is another example, Tom, of what we're talking about, right? Where they want to steer us into believing that this is all about uh, all these excuses. But in reality, it comes down to one thing, one thing only. Their own financial game. Game. Or game. Or game. Financial game, too. Yeah, that works, too. Yeah. Speaking of games, I actually did some research here, believe it or not. And the idea of the fan experience, it seems to be only justified through UConn and not the other teams. Because when I looked at the regions for the number two seeds for not just the women's tournament, but the men's tournament, too, it seems like this is an exception to the rule that UConn women's gets to play at Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is 79 miles away from the campus in stores, Connecticut. Okay. Then the women's tournament, the regions were as follows. The Bridgeport region, which UConn was the number two seed, again, 79 miles away. In Greensboro, Iowa was the number two seed, and they had to go to Greensboro, North Carolina, which is 915 miles away. Baylor, number two seed in the Wichita region, had to go 445 miles. And then Texas and Spokane, 
1,989 miles, which means the non-Yukon average distance traveled for the regional site, the number two seeds, was an average of 1,116 miles. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. Then over on the men's side, the number two seed in the East Region, Kentucky, had to go to Philadelphia. Auburn had to go to Chicago. Villanova had to go to San Antonio. And Duke had to go to San Francisco. That's an average of 1,490 miles, which means that the number two seeds not named Yukon would have to travel on average 1,330 miles away from their campus. But Yukon women, only 79. 79 to 1,330 miles on average. Are there any examples of any other number two seed benefiting from this kink in the formula? Oh, you mean other than UConn? Other than UConn. You don't kink shame here at the Basketball Illuminati, I mean. <laughs> There's not another UConn. Like Notre Dame, for example, does Notre Dame get these same sort of comforts of having a regional by their campus? I don't think so, right? I don't know off the top of my head, but the biggest example of the retort that I've seen the most from UConn fans about this instance was, well, South Carolina got to play in Greensboro, North Carolina. No one's complaining about that. That was three hours away from their campus, but they're the one seed. So the argument isn't about the one seeds getting the preference. It's about the two seed having home court against the one seed. That's the advantage of being the one seed. You're a little bit closer to home. UConn wasn't the number one seed this year. They had injuries. They lost some games. So they were the number two seed. So they shouldn't have that same advantage in a perfect world, but they still were able to play these games in Bridgeport. And if you watch the NC State UConn game, you could tell it was home court for UConn. And if we pull out and we really assess the broader point here, there's two layers to it. In this year, what happens is that regardless of whether UConn wins the tournament, they have now made it to the final weekend, which means that all of the media coverage and all of the storylines will once again center on UConn and probably Paige Beckers. Not because Paige Beckers isn't amazing. That is unequivocally true. And UConn's really good. Yes. UConn is a phenomenal basketball team. And they're second favored to win in drafting sportsbook behind South Carolina right now, even though they're the only two seed in the final four. Well, it helps when you're having to play in Bridgeport, right? Right. Part of that is baked in to that odds. And for 15 years, people have been saying, well, somebody come along and beat UConn. Get your program good enough to beat UConn. We are now in a place where you can point to six to eight programs who could beat UConn. But what we're learning this year is that what people are actually saying and what the NCAA committee is actually saying because of the money that's baked into it that they want and the exposure that they want from UConn is that you don't have to be good enough to beat UConn. You have to be good enough to beat UConn on their home floor. You guys are data heads, Tom. What is that? You have to be on a given night 3.5 points better than you are on an average night if you're going into a sold out arena. That's right. You unpeel the layers of it and the monopoly and the ball that is rolling in UConn's favor. And part of the subject of UConn privilege is that this doesn't happen on the men's side because baked into the equation is not geography because they can make money wherever they go because of the TV rights and the way the NCAA in its Indiana headquarters sells the men's side of the tournament. So they don't have to have geography baked in. And that is another layer of this UConn bias story. I mean, they could have had 
Coach K playing in Durham, right? Yeah. For that regional. But they sent him to San Francisco. Of all the opportunities to get the great story of Coach K playing against whoever it is in the regional in his neighborhood, so it'd be packed with Cameron crazies. No, they sent him to San Francisco. Tom, but of course... Tom, Tom, they can't make it that obvious. <laughs> they already played with finally going to throw us off the scent one way or another. This is all part of it, right? Like, this is the gaslighting that they do, right? They do this obvious, obvious manipulation with UConn, and then for plausible deniability's sake, oh, oh, Coach K is in San Francisco. As if to say, hey, man, if we wouldn't do it for Coach K on his farewell tour, why would we do it for Gino on a regular Tuesday? Yeah, right. Jess, don't you have a quote here from Gino? It's an amazing quote. When I read this quote, Tom, that I'm about to read, I honestly wasn't sure if it was real or not. But this is from Gino Ariema at a Middlesex Country Chamber of Commerce breakfast. I don't think we could have made up a better quote from Gino. Everybody in the country complains all the time that we get sent to Bridgeport or we get sent to Albany. Well, you idiots, it's because we're the number one seed in the country every year. So where else are they going to send us? Because we earn the right to be close to home. That's why we're always in Bridgeport or always in Albany. So here we are going to Bridgeport, and you're going to hear the uproar next week. It's not fair. NC State's got to come up here, and they're going to have to play Connecticut, maybe on Connecticut's home court. Blah, 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 blah. What a terrible thing that is. Well, you know, that's life. (laughs) This is the Mike Wilbon hang tough (laughs) argument, right? We talk about Clinton Kershaw's win percentage not being good enough despite an ERA of like .000001. And Frank Isola says, what's he supposed to do when he doesn't get the run support? And he says, we've got to hang tough. That's exactly what Gino Ariema did when presented with an argument that completely pokes holes in the statement he just made, which is, well, we're a one seed every year. Well, this year you're not, homie. Yep. What's his answer? That's life. That's life for UConn. I wonder why Bridgeport is even on the list of potential places to play these games. Because if you're talking about fan experience and you want people to travel to these games from out of town and make a weekend out of it, some of the regional men's locations I thought this year were like places that I could legitimately see spending a weekend, seeing things that there are to see, going to museums, places with big airports where you can actually go in and out of the city easily. Bridgeport isn't that. What? I don't even know what the closest airport is to Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's almost as if they expected people to drive in and then drive home. Uh, Make a day trip out of it. San Francisco versus Bridgeport. Men's side versus the women's side is quite a difference. I know like the arenas are smaller. The total mortgage arena where the game was played is a 10,000 seat stadium. I know there's contracts that are involved in that and ticket sales all are things that are considered when you're picking these regional sites, right? But to me, Bridgeport is a bridge too far. Things to do in Bridgeport. It's a beautiful city. It's on the water. It's great. Forget that it's a Long Island Sound. It's on the water. Look at smokestacks. They got plenty of those, right? Yep. Dilapidated factories, burned down warehouses. Sure. Let's see what else you got. Stores Connecticut isn't too far. Oh, no, no, no. Erase that Wait. one. Too oh, much. Oh, oh. <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> the, the loud part quiet, the quiet part loud. Here is where they played as the number two seed since 2004. Bridgeport, Albany, Bridgeport, and Bridgeport. <laughs> In 2005, they played as the number three seed in Kansas City. And what happened? They got bounced in the Sweet 16. They lost by 17 points. Data. They got barbecued chicken. 1998, as the number two seed, they didn't get placed in Bridgeport or Albany. They were in Dayton, Ohio, and they lost in the Elite Eight. We can keep going. 
it is not a good track record of UConn having to play outside of Albany or Bridgeport and their successes after that. Remember, in 2004, when they're in the number two seed, they won big against Penn State, who was the number one seed. But Penn State had to go to Bridgeport and UConn eventually won the title that year. So if they were not positioned in Bridgeport and say Iowa City or Charlottesville or Philadelphia, well, Philadelphia is pretty close. What would happen to that season? It just seems time and time again, they get that treatment of a number one seed, even though they are not the number one seed. We've kind of glossed over something. I know you guys have mentioned this on Off the Looking Glass, but the idea that this is as you said, Jess, you guys have started talking this conversation. This conversation is national. The Athletic wrote about it. Fans are talking about it. Gene R.M. is denying it at Rotary Clubs. <laughs> ESPN does not talk about it. Can we unpack that a little bit? They weren't actually muzzled to talk about that, or was that? I doubt that because this morning, Monica McNutt, who was in that clip, tweeted, I'm really excited about where the women's game is going and acknowledge UConn as a brand. But when the women's college basketball combo nationally doesn't center on them and doesn't only pop in March... We'll be making major progress. I don't think this is actually something that they're not allowed to talk about. And I don't even know if ESPN's coverage of UConn plays into this so much as the NCAA's seeding and the structure of the NCAA tournament. But I think to Kate and I's earlier point, we were first and we were right. <laughs> Jess, hold on a second. I hear Monica's tweet, and that doesn't sound like an acknowledgement. It sounds like a, hey, guys, you know what? We got a long way to go before we can talk about the greatness of the game and not talk about UConn all the time. Yeah, we're talking about UConn, Monica. Yeah, we are, because this is an undeniable fact. We we have the numbers. We have the data. The idea that the average 2C travel on both the men's and women's side is over a thousand miles. And these guys, as Kate eloquently put it, are doing a day trip. <laughs> They're going an hour and 10 minutes down the road. It's unconscionable. So I'm not saying they're muzzled. Hey, you know what, Jess? We've got a saying around here. I'm not accusing ESPN of muzzling. I'm just asking the question. Did y'all want to talk about this at all? Can I ask that question and not get a defensive tweet the next day, by the way? The next day after, like, oh, why are we all talking about UConn? Just asking a question. Why aren't we talking about UConn? I'm going to ask a question here. Kate, Jess, where can people find the podcast and join the Off the Looking Glass community online, on Twitter? Where can they find you? And what will you be covering here in season two of Off the Looking Glass? Well, they can find Off the Looking Glass wherever they get their podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all of the other places. The conversation usually happens on our Twitter feeds at Kate Fagan 3 at Jessica underscore Smetana. We're thinking about getting our own Twitter handle like we've noticed that Basketball Illuminati has. So that could be something that we do in coming seasons. But for this season, season two, the season premiere guest is Gina Davis. <gasps> who what? is what? finally, yes. Wow. Going to answer the question of whether Dottie Henson dropped the ball on purpose. So that's coming in season two. She did. I mean, she obviously did. Conspiracy. And if you want to listen back to season one of Off the Looking Glass, you can listen to our interview with Muffet McGraw that made headlines in this conversation about UConn and Gino Ariema. And just the other day, Muffet McGraw tweeted, 
But could we talk about regionals? They're supposed to be at neutral sites. I know the attendance hasn't been great, so let's try something new. But holding a regional in someone's backyard every year, that has to change. And you can listen to that interview from season one of Off the Looking Glass, wherever you get your podcasts, called Coach Speak. One thing I do love about Off the Looking Glass is that it's evergreen. You can go back and listen to these episodes and not feel like this is stale or outdated. It feels new. So go listen to the first season of Off the Looking Glass on the Lebetard and Friends podcast network. Go follow Jess, go follow Kate, and continue fighting the good fight, Jess and Kate, about UConn privilege. We're not biased, though. Our foundation is pure. Thank you, and welcome to the Basketball Illuminati podcast. We'll have you on again soon. Keep your third eye open. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.